Well, good evening. It looks a lot different through the glass than it did last Wednesday night, doesn't it? Um, I'm just going to have to move over this far. <laughs> and that will take care of it, at least for tonight. Hope everybody's doing well and had a good day. And if you would, I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Over a year ago, we started at the front of the Bible, and now we're getting close to the back. That's what happens when you stick with something, right? Some of you got through reading it in a year, and some far less than that. So that's good. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we are so, so grateful for your love and mercy and grace the blessings that you have bestowed upon us, we acknowledge freely tonight that everything we have has come from you. You're an awesome God, and we do love you today. Lord, we thank you for those who are here tonight and for the desire that you've placed in our hearts for the Word of God. We thank you for giving us your Word. And tonight we ask for help and guidance Lord, as we look through the pages of your word, we pray that you would speak through our hearts, enlighten us, help us to see better than we've ever seen before, things from your word, maybe that we've never noticed before. Guide our thoughts and, and, and our time together, we pray, and we just confess our love for you unashamedly tonight. What a God you are, and we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Amen. According to the world's view, a great man died today. Uh, Stephen Hawking. Anybody know who I'm talking about? I saw a little while ago that uh, Stephen Hawking had declared that Basically, that all of us who believe in heaven were fools. Uh, it was nothing but a fairy tale. And someone had responded, one thing about it, he knows for sure now. So, um, sometimes it is true that those that we label as being the smartest people around may be misguided. Amen? And I would propose to you tonight that the only thing that will keep us grounded where we really need to be in our thinking would be this book. It's the only thing that's trustworthy because sometimes people sound good, their logic, their theories, um, but it doesn't, doesn't jibe, it doesn't mesh with the Word of God. And... Um, we're going to kind of get a real-life lesson about that tonight as we study the book of Hebrews. If you'll notice, um, the title on the screen, simply Hebrews, is labeled in my Bible, the Epistle to the Hebrews. And not to take up time, but because this is very important, I would like for us to take a few moments tonight thinking about who this book is written to. If we're talking about this book is written to the Hebrews, 
Somebody um, embellish that for me a little bit. Expand on that. Written to the Jews. That's about as good as you can say it, succinctly. The Hebrews are the Jews. So this book was written to the Jews. Now, I'd like for you to put yourself, if you would, for just a few moments, in the um, mindset of being Jewish. I'm not Jewish. I don't know if anybody in here is Jewish tonight. But if you would, put yourself, imagine that you were Jewish. And I would like for us to take a few moments and compile a list of things that would be of interest to you if you were a Jew. If you were a Hebrew... What things would be important to you by virtue of the fact that you were a Hebrew or you were a Jew? And let's make a list. Help me out. I'm sorry. I heard three at one time and I didn't hear any of them. The Torah or the law. And? Prophets. And? Okay. Temple. Pardon me? Typically, not really. <laughs> they didn't have much interest in the Gentiles, and it, it went both ways. It wasn't. We're not being. Um, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of if you, if you were Jewish, what would be important in your life? The law, the prophets, Abraham, the temple would. Sacrifices. Okay. What place would be really important to you? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Okay. Anybody else has any burning in your heart? We'll make that the end of our list. Destiny. Destiny? Okay. A lot of promises were made to the Jews, weren't there? Okay. So, I think that's a good list. I think you all did well. If you were Hebrew, by virtue of the fact that you were Jewish, you would have been interested in the law and the prophets because you would have been raised with that. Uh, Abraham being the father of the faithful, you're, you would be children of Abraham. Uh, the temple where you worship, what did you do when you went to the temple? You offered sacrifices. This was done in Jerusalem. And you did this because you believed in uh, your destiny as the people of God. So all of this would have been things that would have been important to you if you were Jewish. Now, let's, let's go a little bit farther in our um, uh, kind of laying a foundation for Bible study tonight. And let's talk about the Jews to which this book is written. 
This book is written to Hebrews, right? But what, in addition to these things, what would this group of people have that was of interest to them? Pardon me? Jesus, absolutely. Now why, Dennis, would you say that Jesus would be of interest to the people to whom this book was written? Because they were Christians. They were Christians. They were part of the church. And so this kind of separate, they, they had these things uh, in, their, in their hearts by virtue of the fact that they were Jewish, but then they had these things as part of their life and their understanding because they were Christians. This book was written to the, the church, Hebrews, Jewish people in the church. So they would have, as Dennis said, been Messianic Jews or believers in Jesus, they would have been Christians. Uh, they would have been part of the church. So, as we begin reading tonight in the book of Hebrews, these are things we need to keep in mind. What was important to the Jews? Those things on the right. What was also important to the Jews? These particular Hebrews? The fact that they were Christians as well. They were Christian Jews. Now, how many have ever heard the word baggage before? Do you know wherever you came from, you bought baggage with you? Me, you, all of us. From our life's experiences, we, bring, we come to where we are now, and we all have our baggage. Uh, some of the things that we bring to the table, if you will, as we come together, might be consistent with Scripture. Other things may not. Other th Some things as we come together might be extremely important in God's eyes, and other things might not be so important at all, really. might be important to us, but might not be that important to Him. So what we're going to see here as we go through the, the book of Hebrews tonight is that there's some, some rise and fall in the thermometer, if you will, or the barometer of what was important in their eyes at different times. The Jews, by the fact they were Jewish, basically all were interested in these things. When they came to Jesus and became Christians and part of the church, did they leave all this behind? No, it was just, it's a part of the fabric of who they were, right? But was there something higher and greater than these things when they came to Christ? Certainly. They come to Jesus. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And when you become Christians, you, you certainly have a destiny that supersedes and is better than, greater than that that was limited to the Jews alone. So they're kind of living in two worlds there. And, and we don't know with certainty who wrote this book, uh, the book of Hebrews, the, the probably the prevalent name that comes up is the Apostle Paul. However, he, he, he never gives his name here, which is his um, M.O., as some would say. That's generally what he would always do, but that's not done here. 
And some people feel like that probably Paul wrote this book, but he wrote it in Hebrew. And then Luke came along and translated it into Greek. Um, we don't know. That's just supposition. We, I remember a Bible teacher I had, Melvin Hyatt. Some of you knew Mel uh, very well. And I remember in a conversation in a class one day as he was teaching, we ha- were having a discussion about who wrote the book of Hebrews. And finally, he ended our discussion by saying, only God knows for sure. It's not really important to us tonight who wrote it. It's just the fact that 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 the Lord has given us this book. And if we could get a, a sense of why it was written as we read through this tonight, and I think we can, I think it'll be helpful for us. Let's read the first um, four verses. The very first word in the book of Hebrews is what? God. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers or our ancestors by the what? Oh, is that on the list? It was on the list, wasn't it? God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to our ancestors or our fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Somebody tell me His name. You see, we've already, we're already crossing these two lists up, aren't we? From the get-go. We've talked about prophets already, and now we're talking about Jesus. And we're already mingling those two sides together. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, there is a word here that we're going to see over and over and over tonight as we go through the book of Hebrews, and is this word right here. That is the, that is the key word, or it is a key word in the book of Hebrews. Now, you have Jewish Christians here who have this in their lives that's very important and that they've known all their lives. And then they come over here and they hear about Jesus and they believe and they become Christians and now they're part of the church. And as time goes by and there's a little persecution and the revival is over, And the excitement begins to wane and you settle in for life on the long haul. What happens? Well, they should have gotten better. (laughs) You tend to, you tend to, you 
Thank you. You do. You tend to go back with what's familiar. Now, what's familiar might not be what's better. Oh, there's a message there. Right? But that's what you tend to do. You tend to revert back to the past. When what is over here is much better, but you revert to that. Especially for persecution. And what you have done, if, if you and your immediate family have accepted Christ... And you've got family over here who's pointing their fingers at you and talking about what a mistake you made. And you need to come back and be faithful to the faith over here and the law. And you, you're getting criticized and people are pointing fingers at you. Then you tend to slack off on this side and go back to this side. That makes sense, doesn't it? And that's what many of them were doing. And so the writer of this book is writing to the Hebrews and he's going to tell them... That, that this side over here, Jesus Christ and being Christians and part of the church is better than these things. Now that's not the same thing as saying that these things are bad, is it? The law is good. The prophets are good. Abraham is wonderful. Temple was a wonderful thing in its time. The sacrifices are what brought us to an understanding of who Jesus was. Jerusalem, God's got his eye on that place, and certainly those people have a destiny just simply by being Jewish. But there's a, there's a higher, more important, better place to go in your relationship with God, and that is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and be a Christian and part of what he's doing now. That is the better. Although these things are important, this is better. Now, there are some other distinctives of the Jewish mindset that we didn't write down, and, and we've already stumbled upon one of them right now in, um, in verse 4, where the Bible says that Jesus purged our sins. He sat down of the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels. That is to say that Jesus Christ is better than the angels. That's not my words. That's the biblical words, right? Jesus Christ is better than the angels. Now, can you think with me about um, maybe some instances or some examples where the Jews seem to be intrigued or interested or have a very high appreciation of angels? Yeah. All in the Old Testament, much of the revelation came through angels, didn't it? And the angel of the Lord appeared unto them. And, and on and on and on we read about that. So in the Jewish mind... The angels were of extreme importance. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7, as uh, Timothy is preaching here, I believe, well, no, Stephen, excuse me, Stephen. As Stephen is preaching this message, um, verse 53 says that you have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. So according to Stephen, when he's preaching to the Jews, he says, you got the law from who? Angels were the messengers 
that brought down the law to you, he says. And they, they did have this fascination with angels. Um, and it was extremely important to them. So as we continue reading then, the remainder of chapter 1, you're going to see um, whoever wrote this epistle, how important it was in their mind to straighten this out and let it be understood that Jesus is better than the angels. It is true, is it not, that the Jewish nation as a whole has had a real challenge accepting Jesus. True? Messianic Jews are small in number by comparison to those who haven't accepted the Messiah. And so there's many reasons for that, but as we continue reading this, the rest of this chapter is going to be focused on the fact that the Son of God is exalted above angels. Verse 5, For to which of the angels did he ever say, he being God? For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. These are Old Testament passages, by the way, that we're reading there. But when he, God, again, brings the firstborn into the world... God says, let all the angels of God worship Him. Let all the angels of God worship who? Exactly. He's, he's setting it straight, isn't he? He's showing us, that, yeah, the angels were important, but they bowed down and worshipped Jesus. Verse 7, And of the angels, God says, who makes His angels spirits and His ministers a flame of fire, so angels are servants, angels are ministers. Verse 8, but to the Son, he says, listen to what God says to the Son now. I hope you're getting this. I mean, Pastor Ron's not making this stuff up. We're just reading it straight from the Word. But to the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Verse 10. And, here's another quote, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. Now remember, John Chapter 1, verse 1, how it tells us about who Jesus was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. This is talking about the same thing. Verse 10, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up and they will be changed. But you, you are the same and your years will not fail. Boy, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty interesting stuff there, talking about the Lord Jesus. 
Verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister or to serve for those who will inherit salvation? So we have this this comparison. We have over here the interest would have been on angelic beings. But as soon as we start reading this, we find out that the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is better than, I need to add it to the list. It just needs to be there. Because whoever wrote that book spent a whole chapter talking about it. Jesus is better than the angels. Let's, for the sake of time, let's take a... um, a jog, if you will, right quick through the book of Hebrews, and let me share you uh, with you other places uh, where we read that same word and that same thinking. Uh, chapter six, verse nine. There has been a discussion in chapter six about how that we um, we need to grow as Christians. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, that is, maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. In other words, we're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be progressing in our walk with the Lord, not digressing and going backwards. Amen? And so we get down to verse 9, where after after whoever wrote this epistle, I keep wanting to say Paul, but since I don't know for sure, I have to, I have to refrain from that. So whoever wrote this in chapter 6, they talk about people who, who have gone back and who have digressed instead of progressed. But in verse 9 he says, But beloved, we, we are confident of better things concerning you. You can do better than that. Right? In verse 12 he says, you know, or verse 11, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherits the promises. How many of you have ever gotten your car and you pushed the accelerator and it was sluggish? Didn't go like it was supposed to go. And whoever wrote this says, don't be like that. You, you need to be making progress and going steadily in this direction, maturing and growing and becoming more of what Christ wants you to be, not going up here and then coming back, going up here and coming back. You've heard you take, you take one step forward and two backwards. Okay, that's what they had done. Some of them were guilty of doing that. They had, they had left, um, Judaism for something better, and that was Jesus Christ. But now they were going back and giving more attention to those things than they were to the better things that we're reading about in the book of Hebrews. In uh, chapter 7, verse 7, Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. There's a discussion there about... Melchizedek and Abraham and so forth, which we don't have time to get into. Um, in verse 22, excuse me, verse 19 of chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, 
there is in there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. What sounds more positive to you? Obeying the law and all that that entails as we read about in the Old Testament or putting our faith in Christ and having a better hope. I prefer the better hope, don't you? As versus putting my faith and, and trust in, in my own works and what I have to do. Verse 22 says, By so much more Jesus has become the surety or the guarantee of a better covenant. You all know, I'm sure, that, that the people who lived in the Old Testament, the Jews there, uh, and uh, that was the Old Covenant. Covenant and Testament means the same thing. We, we, our, our Bible is divided between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You would be just as correct to say Old Covenant and New Covenant. That's what it means. So in the, in the, um, period of time that we're looking in here in the Old Testament, they focused on the law and that would be Judaism. But the Lord has given us, verse 22 says, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant than the law. He came to fulfill the law, and uh, today we trust in Him. He is better than the law. And then when we go to chapter 8, we're going to read verse 9. But now He has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as He is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. Can I give you an illustration from the Old Testament and illustrate how that the new is better than the old? And and I'm I'm obviously I'm I'm obviously going to go overkill on this just to make my point, okay? But if you went out in on the Sabbath day and you started picking up sticks in your yard and you got to it got caught doing that on the Sabbath, what happened to you? You all don't remember what happened to the man who went out and picked up sticks on the Sabbath? He got stoned. There was no mercy. There was no forgiveness. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. So he got it. And they stoned him. That's the law. Right? Have you all read that in the Bible? Oh, Okay, everybody's looking at me kind of, I'd heard that before. Yeah, that's the, the Bible tells us that. Is that the way it works now? I love what the Bible says about, about God and His, with His covenant people. His mercies are new every morning. Boy, if, if the Lord did with us every day like He did under the law when the law was first given, uh, well, I'll just tell you this, we wouldn't even be here tonight. We wouldn't have made it this far, would we? Because somewhere along the line, we would have messed up. And that would have been the end of it. But the Lord is merciful. And uh, this is a better covenant. I am so thankful for the new covenant. I love the new covenant. And then we read again in chapter 9. I don't even know if I read it or not. That he's the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Chapter 9, verse 23 
Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Here you you keep seeing that word. What we're involved in now and participants of is better than the law and the prophets and Abraham and the temple and the sacrifices and Jerusalem and, and all that. It's better. Chapter 10, verse 34. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. A moment ago when we were making this list, Dad said the last one on the list, destiny. And they probably were thinking, well, we're going to shake off the the all the governments of the world and we're going to have the kingdom set up in Jerusalem and that's going to be our destiny. But this one talks about a better destiny than that. It says, a better and enduring possession for yourselves in where? In heaven. That's pretty cool. Or for those of you who were cold today, it's pretty warm. It's going to be what you what you are comfortable with and what it's going to be good. Verse 16 of chapter 11 says, But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves that this is not heaven here. Neither is it supposed to be. So when something goes wrong, we wonder, What in the world's going wrong? You know, but this is not heaven. There is a place that we're going to that is much better than this. Verse 16 says, they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. When we look in uh, same chapter 11, verse 35, it says, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Chapter 40, having provided something better for us. You can see how a lot of people make the claim that this book is, the, the key word in this book is better, couldn't you? But there's a, there's a struggle going on here. Lord willing, Sunday, I'd like to take this same struggle and put it in our, in our, um, time. We struggle with things too. This is always better. God's way is always better. But if we're not careful, we get pulled back in by other things. And we don't appreciate what this is all about. So we'll contemporize, I guess, the book of Hebrews, Lord willing, on Sunday. And, and give it some uh, meaning to our lives, some relevance to where we live today. Let's also look at something else uh, in the book of uh, Hebrews that I think is interesting. I'm not going to um, spend a lot of time on this one. How many of you like lettuce? I'm just playing with you now. Chapter 10, verse 28. Let us hold fast the confession. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Verse 24, and let us consider 
one another. Oh, verse 22 was the first one. Let us draw near with a, few, with a pure heart. I'm going to tell you, those are, those are admonitions right there we would do well to chew on. Let us draw near with a true heart. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Listen, do you realize that it's not all about you? We get so wrapped up in ourselves sometimes. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about it's about the body as a whole. That's why the Bible says, let us consider, verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Listen now. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. I'm going to give you a very basic illustration here coming straight from this scripture, and I think every one of you can say amen to it. You come to church on Sunday morning and the place is just about full. How do you feel? You feel good. You come to church on Sunday morning and about 50% of the people are AWOL that Sunday. How do you feel? Does the fact that some stayed away impact the rest? Yes, it does. And so the Bible says... We're not in this for ourselves, and we need to be faithful, and we need to come together. Look at what it says there now. Let us consider one another. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's about other people as well. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, but exhorting one another, encouraging. Listen, we can encourage people, or we can depress people. Amen. We sure do. So we have to make up our minds. Are we going to be an encourager or are we going to be a depressor? <laughs> I don't want to be a depressor, do you? That doesn't even sound right. Now, let's see. I think there's a, I think there's some more lettuce in this passage, I do believe. Oh, yeah, chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore... We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Boy, there's some good stuff in this book. Do you notice what that says? Does it even make sense to run a race with a weight on your back? That doesn't even make sense, does it? No, you want to you want to get rid of the weight so you can run the race and do it well and give it your best. So the Bible says, "Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us." Now, as we're racing and as we're running and as we're shedding weight, I don't I don't necessarily mean body weight. But as we're getting rid of the stuff that slows us down, right? And we're getting rid of the sin that's in our lives that we know shouldn't be there. And we're running this race with endurance. What's the next thing we're supposed to be doing? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Been a lot of times when I've been in a boat fishing and I'd, I'd set my, 
I'd have my steering wheel and I'd get headed just right in the direction where I wanted it to go. And I'd turn around and I'd start doing other... I'm going to tell you all story. I probably shouldn't tell you this story. But I'm going to tell you anyway, okay? I was out uh, a couple of years ago. I was about two, one or two miles offshore in the ocean and I was, I was trolling. Now, that means you got some lines out behind the boat and you're pulling them. I was by myself. And so I'm pulling these lines and I got the boat headed in a certain direction. I hadn't caught any fish and all of a sudden, bam, 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 bam. And there was a fish on every one of them. And I'm trying to, re- I was excited. Man, I was reeling this fish in and getting that line back out and reeling the next fish and getting that line out and reeling that one in. Get, and I was going just as hard as I could to get the fish off, get the line back in the water. And I'd take a glance up every now and then and then I'd, I'd put another one out and then another one would hit it. And I, I went that way and I caught 15 in about 30 minutes. Just as hard as I could go. Until I looked up. And I was as close to the beach as Leslie is from me right there. Now, first of all, when you're trolling, you're not going fast. So it's not, it wasn't like it was really dangerous. But I looked up and honestly, I panicked. I saw the beach as close as she is. And I threw that thing in reverse with all those lines behind me. Guess what happened? I had a mess. I had to start all over again. Now, that's what happens when you don't get your keep your eyes where you're supposed to be going, right? The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. When you take your eyes off of where you're supposed to be going and get distracted by other things, you can really get yourself in a mess. And I did that day. And all the people who were standing on the shore had a good laugh. (laughs) I just waved and kept going. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. An important part, looking unto Jesus. You know what? If you're looking to Jesus and got your eyes on Him, you're not going to be bothered by the people around you who otherwise would be irritating to you. Did y'all know that? When we get irritated with people, it's because we've got our eyes off Jesus. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture. It teaches a powerful truth. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Well, that might be all. No, there's another piece of lettuce here. Chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Why do you think whoever wrote this put that last sentence in there? I mean, that sounded pretty good, wasn't it? All of a sudden, we're talking about grace and and serving God acceptably. And then all of a sudden, you see that verse, For our God is a consuming fire. Why is that there? Absolutely. And there are there are repercussions, aren't there, for for when we when we don't serve Him acceptably. Uh, in chapter thirteen, a little bit more lettuce in verse thirteen. Therefore, let us go forth to Him outside the camp, bearing His reproach. How many of you know that the work of God that we need to be doing is not in the four walls of this church, but it's on the outside? Amen. Amen. Let us go forth. 
And then when you look at verse 15, Therefore by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Boy, if we did that, wouldn't we be happy Christians? Think about it. Offering the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Now, I've heard about the people before, like a carpenter. He's driving a nail and he smashes his thumb and he says, Thank you, Jesus. I don't know how sincere that is. Okay? I'm just being real. But you know what? If we go through life being thankful and praising God, it will make a difference on how everything looks. The Lord will be pleased with it. He'll be blessed by it. We'll be blessed as a result. Everybody around us would be blessed because we'll be a joy to be around. Amen? Amen. People love to be around somebody who's, who's being positive and thankful. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. Oh, is it not true that we live in a day... Well, the Bible says in the last, per- in the last days perilous times will come and one of the signs of that people will be unthankful. And um, sometimes we just need to be reminded how blessed we are and then turn that into thanksgiving and praise because the Lord has really been good to us. He's really been good to us. Well, let's go back to chapter 2. We've spent 45 minutes on chapter 1, kind of. (laughs) Now we'll go back to chapter 2. See if you don't think this is a powerful passage. After talking about how great Jesus is and He's better than the angels. and Chapter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Remember my fishing story there? When I got drifting in the wrong way, I wasn't drifting, the motor was running. I just wasn't paying attention where I was. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast. Let me ask you this. Did the word which was spoken by angels, was it steadfast? Yeah, it was the truth, wasn't it? It came from God. They were God's messengers to bring the law and the message of God to the people. So their word was steadfast. So the Bible says, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. If what the angel said was true, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Speaking about Jesus Christ, who is better than the law, and we need to give heed to the words and the will and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And how shall we neglect? Or how how shall we be saved if we neglect so great salvation? I know... Some of you probably get tired of hearing me talk about this. But what a, what a powerful point here. 
if we choose certain things out of the Bible that we choose not to believe, I mean, where do we get the right to do that? Where does anybody get the right to say, it's okay for a man to marry a man? Right? Where do we get that right? And so the Bible says, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which was at the first, it began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. We, we have got to be people of the book. Listen, I've just got to tell you, I'm just going to tell you straight. I could not believe a preacher if he's going to reject one verse He's capable of rejecting any verse. I mean, when it comes to the Bible, you either believe it or you don't. And we don't have the the right to choose which parts of it we believe or which parts we agree with. Amen? It's not my word. It's His word. And so we have the charge to believe and accept His word. If I were to ask you today, if you had the authority, and that's a mighty big if, But if you have the authority to change some things in the Bible, would you change some things? You probably would. But you know what? I don't have that right. I don't have that authority. Whether I agree with it or not. Have I I taken stands sometime that I wish I didn't have to take? Sure. But I don't take stands for Ron Brisson. I take stands on the Word of God and for what the Scripture says. And I, all of us are in the same boat there. It is a, it's an unbelievable travesty and abomination the way the Word of God is treated these days in which we live. If you'll notice in chapter 3, um, I'm surprised in our, in our list of interests that the Jews had that Moses didn't end up on that list. After all, he was the, he was the uh, the focal point for a good while. When you get to chapter three, the Bible says, "Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him." Now, listen to this: as Moses also was faithful. In all his house. For this one, and that is Christ Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Wow. He's better. More glory. Christ does than Moses. If you turn over into chapter 4, there's a... Um, some discussion there about Joshua. Verse 8 says, For if Joshua had given them rest then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. And Christ is superior to Joshua as well, who was important to the Jews, of course. Moses' successor. Yes? What does your verse say in verse 8? Pardon me? What did your verse 8 say? In what? Verse 74. Chapter 4, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. 
Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, let's, our time's running out. Let's go to um, another extremely important passage. <coughs> We've touched on chapter 10 beginning at verse 22, so I think I'll not go back to that, but boy, that's so important. If you'll notice in the latter part of chapter 10... Verse 38 says, and this is a, this is a phrase you'll read several times in scripture. Now the just shall live by faith. Who was it, um, in the scripture that, that probably popularized that verse, at least in the New Testament? Paul, the apostle Paul. What, after Paul, what religious figure popularize that verse of scripture Martin Luther absolutely Martin Luther is the one who who struggled with with um, guilt and and feelings of condemnation he never could do enough or be enough for the Lord always felt like he was falling short and um one day he's reading the, the Bible and he sees that. Now the just shall live by faith. And, a, and the, actually the Holy Spirit, I believe, quickened something in him to where he understood it's not about what you do. It's about believing in what Jesus has done for you. He died on a cross for us, right? To take our sin. And so... Um, this began to be a major doctrine. It always has been a major doctrine, but it wasn't understood perhaps until some of those things I've just mentioned. But then that leads us to chapter 11. A chapter, we call it the faith chapter. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Who created the earth and the heavens and the solar system and everything that exists? Yeah. And you know what? I don't care what science comes up with at some point in the future. Telling us this and telling us that. And they've just discovered this and they've just discovered that. I'm going to tell you, my mind is made up. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And nothing's going to change that. If we find a dinosaur or if we don't find a dinosaur, none of that matters to me. It's irrelevant. I believe what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And and we have to learn to accept things sometimes by faith that we can't explain. And I cannot explain creation other than what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. They lived, and their life was good. It was everything that was promised, but it was very, I guess, physical. Moses, the burning bush, all these things was very physical. But then when Jesus came and explained everything, you really had to have a different sense of faith and, and live by a word, not just by seeing things. Mm-hmm. So could that be the major disconnect between the two groups, for lack of a better word, of Hebrews? Because you've got the Messianic Jews and then you've got... Mm-hmm. A regular Jew that didn't believe so much in Jesus. Right. I, I think that's very true. 
and even among the Jews, and Scripture bears this out, you know, everybody who calls themselves a Christian today is not a Christian. Well, even Jesus said this, and Paul did too, you're not all Jews. They were all Jewish, but they weren't real Jews in the sense of the things that we listed there, the law and the prophets and, and the temple and the sacrifices in Jerusalem and, and honoring God. They weren't Jews. Um, and today, there are many people who call themselves Christians. There are no more Christians than the Jews are. Um, and it's easy. It's easy to assume an identity. I mean, how many times did Jesus... There was not a group of people that he came down on harder than he came on Jews, right? And in the Gospel of, uh, well, it's Matthew, I believe it's John. John 5, maybe. He says, uh, you search the Scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life. And Jesus said, the Scriptures are what talks about me. And you won't accept me. But you're supposed to be experts in the Scripture." And and that's the way it is. Not everybody who talks about it or hangs around with Christians is Christian. It was the same way I would think among the Jews. And I think those who were sincere and those who like, um, for instance, we read a couple about a couple of them in early in the New Testament when Jesus was born. They recognized who he was. Like, um, I'm going blank. What were their names? It was a woman and a man. Anna and Ze- and. Simeon, Anna and Simeon. And, and when Jesus was born and they bought, bought him into the temple, they picked up on it just like that. They knew who he was. They were praying people, the Bible says, faithful, dedicated people. And, and the, the Spirit of God somehow showed them this was the Christ child. And they said, oh, now we can die in peace. We've seen the Messiah. You know, how precious is that? So there were there were Jews who were really seeking, and I think just like the Jews and Christians today, if they're really seeking, the Holy Spirit will lead us. But I think that's a good point, excellent point. Anybody else? Verse 6 in chapter 11 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If there is a verse in the Bible that could transform our lives if we would really believe it, it would probably be the second half of that verse. That God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not just kind of go through the motions, be casual about it. But for those who are willing to seek Him, boy, God's going to show Himself strong in their behalf. Well, I'll tell you what, we better bring that to a close. With the good Lord's help, we plan to pick it up again on Sunday morning in a contemporary context, at least partially so. Um, As usual, we do want to have a prayer for those who have requests. There's a former pastor of this church many years ago uh, who also happens to be my dad's uncle, Marvin Brisson, who has, um, he's, um, he's approaching 90, isn't he, now? And he has um, had symptoms 
of a stroke, but they've not diagnosed it as a stroke. Uh, they really don't know why he's been unresponsive, didn't recognize family, been in and out of that kind of situation. And so I'd like for us to remember him, uh, if you would, and if anyone else. I, the reason I share that is because his son, Junior, is communicating with me daily and sending me an update. And, and I'm, I'm sharing with him that this church will be praying for him. So we would appreciate that. Anybody else want to share a need? Dennis? Okay. Let's remember Tia. Any others? Okay. Would you stand with me as we lift these to the Lord tonight? Aren't you glad that Jesus is better? He's better. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit farther and I'm going to say He's the best. He's the best. Lord, we love you tonight. And we are grateful for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that um, there's no way we can comprehend. Your grace and your love for us goes far beyond any bounds, Lord, that we can, can fully understand. We want to thank you for that, that it's so great. And Lord, we ask that you would minister to Marvin. Oh Lord, that you would be with him and his family during this uh, difficult time. Man, that has been so healthy so long. Preach the gospel, now failing in health. Lord, be merciful to him, we pray, and minister to him. Oh God, each need that was shared here, I pray, Lord, that you'd bless Tia, bring healing and grace and strength to her body. Touch Sylvia, I pray, and Timothy and Kisa, minister to them. Lord, you know our needs. We don't have to inform you. You know far better than we what the needs are. We just collectively today, Lord, this evening, we bind our hearts together and our faith together and ask you to minister to these needs. Bless each one, we pray. Lord, for those unable to be here tonight, I pray, Lord, you would strengthen and help them. Minister, Lord, to our church body and our family. We are excited and thankful for what you're doing. Have your way in our lives, we pray. You're an awesome God, and we do love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord, help it seek down deep into our hearts and minds. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.